the Linux kernel of many popular operating system distributions contains 200 to 500 million lines of code. The average user never touches many of the libraries that are contained in these operating system distributions. For example, if you spin up a virtual machine on a cloud service provider, the virtual machine will have a USB driver. This is wasted space because you can't even interact with the USB port on a virtual machine. Unikernels are a way to rethink our usage of operating systems. A unikernel uses a stripped-down operating system called a library operating system, and it contains only the libraries that you need for the applications that you are running. Today's guest, Scott Weiss, joins the show to talk about unikernels, and a project he is working on today is called Unique, a tool for compiling application sources into unikernels, and we will get into what that means, how unikernels compare to Docker containers, and many other topics. Before we get to the episode, a few quick announcements. Software Daily is a project that our community is working on. We're building an open source news and information site about software. And if you are interested in contributing to that, check it out. We would love to have developers, particularly if you're familiar with React.js or Node.js. Um, and also, if you want to sign up for the Slack channel, if you want to email me, if you want to send me a tweet, if you want to tell me what I'm doing wrong, what I can do better what uh, I am doing well, please send me an email. And also sign up for our newsletter, Software Weekly. It's a great short newsletter that comes out once a week with some great curated content. It's uh, not annoying or offensive. It is a treat to find in your inbox. Scott Weiss is a committer to Unique, a tool for compiling application sources into unikernels. Unique is spelled U-N-I-K. Scott, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeff. So let's start off by talking about user space and kernel space in a typical operating system. This is kind of a fundamental concept to operating systems, but I think we should cover it before we get into unikernels more deeply. So explain the difference between user space and kernel space in a typical operating system. Uh, basically, the way this works is uh, uh, operating system has certain um, access to low-level parts of the operating system, has control over uh, users, um, access to hardware, and it, it limits the access that applications can have. So applications run in user space, and then the operating system runs in kernel space. Um, and it's basically a, uh, a privilege separation to add some security. Um, so when a uh, uh, user application wants to access something that the kernel, uh, kernel mode is required for, um, it will make a system call to the kernel in order to acquire those privileges. So is... The separation between user space and kernel space, this is this is mostly for security or it's entirely for security? Are there any other functionalities to the separation? Um, to be totally honest, I'm not an operating systems programmer. Um, I, I couldn't tell you if there are other features functionality to it. Okay. But b basically there are certain processes, uh, certain calls that should only be run um, by the operating system. But the operating mm -hmm. system basically does this in order to protect the system from uh, programs. I see. That, you know, yeah. So in, in a typical operating system, when does this switch between user mode and kernel mode occur? Uh, it's happening constantly. Um, it's, it's known as a privilege check. Um, and basically, you know, every time that the, uh, for example, the scheduler, operating system is a scheduler that's um, sharing 
the uh, processor between multiple applications. So anytime there's an interrupt, um, which will, will happen on a cycle or it'll happen when there's an IO event, um, the, uh, the kernel takes control of uh, the processor and then we'll switch, usually we'll switch to another process or another thread. Um, so there's constantly switching between user mode and kernel mode. And when these switches happen, what is the performance penalty? Uh, yeah, so there is a – I don't know the, the actual numbers, but there is a performance penalty from um, switching between user, user mode and kernel mode. It has to do with privilege check um, on actually uh, every kind of operation, um, every system call that's going on from the application. Uh, so there's, there's an overhead going on with those privilege checks and also with the context switching that happens. So with that in mind, what is a unikernel? Uh, okay, so unikernel, um, best way to describe a unikernel, it's a uh, custom library or a custom operating system that's basically designed um, specifically for a particular application. Uh, and further, the, the way that most unikernel implementations like uh, Rump Run, Zen, or I'm sorry, uh, Rump Run, uh, Mirage, work is that they combine the operating system and the application into a single binary that runs as the only executing binary on the system. So the binary has 100% access to memory, um, and it only runs a single process. Uh, so the, the other definition I have seen on the unique wiki was a, a unikernel is a lightweight bootable disk image. Yeah. So how does this idea of a lightweight bootable disk image, how does this differ from a normal binary executable file? Uh, so a, a binary executable file, um, you're going to run that on top of some kind of operating system because a, a binary typically doesn't have uh, drivers and um, so on that's necessary in order to run directly on top of hardware. Uh, so, you know, you, you compile a binary, it'll be like a Windows executable binary, a Linux executable binary, um, that, uh, you know, basically the, the application code is there, but not the system code. Uh, system code is in the operating system and, uh, the two are connected. You know, the, the operating system has a runtime installed in it that allows it to run, um, uh, binaries. So what are some of the advantages of using these unikernels? Uh, well, a unikernel is just a, it's a fundamental shift from the way we currently do computing. Uh, since the days of, of shared mainframes, we've gotten accustomed to um, multi-user, multi-process operating systems, and everything is sort of built on this Unix, Linux-esque um, world where we're expecting processes to run in parallel. We're expecting maybe multiple users to share the same machine. I mean, that's actually not typically the case anymore, um, but it's still, it's still a feature of the OS. Um, and, and basically, we, we have these generalized operating systems, and we've built our software over the last however many years, 40 years, that, that's... Uh, um, designed for this this kind of ecosystem. So we, we built all the security around applications. We've built um, a, a stack that can... Uh, we, we basically, uh, I would say in a nutshell, what we've done is we've created containers as a way to facilitate um, a multi-tenant, multi-application environment 
that that exists on the OS level, when at the same time we want our applications to run in isolation from each other. And one example of you know like wasted. So so the way I think about it is like there's there's all this wasted uh, code in in many many operating system instances. For example, if you boot up a virtual Linux server on AWS, it gives you a USB driver and it might mm. give you a floppy driver and like you don't even have physical access to the machine. Why would you need a USB driver? Why would you mm. need a floppy driver? So how much wasteful code is there in these type of you know type of operating systems that are basically well, before, before I get into that, Jeff, I, I just want to um, uh, finish my statement about what I see as a paradigm shift. Um, so I, I really see us moving from this world uh, where, where the cloud and where distributed computing currently resides. Uh, and I see a yearning there um, for us to move past, uh, which is um, w- where containerization comes from. We want to run our applications in isolated environments that are trimmed down to only give us um, uh, what the the applications need. That's essentially what a container is. When you build a custom container, a Docker container, for example, um, to run your PHP application, you're building into it, you know, maybe you're, you're building it from BusyBox or from a very lightweight Linux distro. You're installing a PHP runtime and then just giving it to your application code. And, and this is supposed to be a shippable, isolated unit in which your uh, your code can run. Um, but this isolation, it's happening on uh, an orchestration level, on a software abstraction level. And what Unikernel's promise to do is, is bring this isolation down to the machine level itself. So that the smallest amount of code necessary in order to isolate and run uh, applications. Okay, so do you, do you have any idea for how much, uh, how much of the machines that we're currently spinning up like how much of that is is wasted on uh software that we don't actually need right well the the idea again goes back to running a general purpose operating system in order to run a specific kind of application um and uh, you know depending on the way um a company or or user makes use of virtual machines they may be optimizing their as much as they can, their usage of the kernel. Uh, they may be leaving very large portions of it unused. There's certainly always going to be drivers that aren't used, um, libraries that aren't used, um, you know, especially if you consider um, the way people are running today with containers and Docker. Um, there's a very large amount of the operating system that's not being used with, with certain distros, um, which is the problem that, that, Companies like CoreOS and Rancher have tried to solve by building specialized uh, versions of Linux, but they're still running with the Linux kernel, which again has quite a bit of bloat in it. Um, that's I, I would argue is far more than necessary to run a simple uh, TCP server. And one of your colleagues has said that the kernel has become bloated because we are trading off efficiency for compatibility. Can you explain what what is meant by that compatibility? Um, so can I ask who, who is the colleague? Is that uh, Edith? Yes. Okay, so um, I just want to mention my team. Um, so the work would not have, not have been possible um, without all three of us. Um, so 
there is our uh, engineer who works out of uh, Israel. His name is Yuval Kohavi. Uh, his his GitHub handle is UV Groovy. Um, he's been responsible for uh, a large amount of porting Rump Run in order to work on various environments, um, fixing and merging uh, support for Go running on Rump Run, and a lot of other um, features, components of Unique. Um, but a lot of the, the low-level systems integration um, was his work. And, uh, of course, Edith is our, um, our manager, our boss. She's the uh, inventor of Unique. And um, there are a lot of talks available uh, online, and then she gives at various conferences discussing Unikernels and, and our project. Um, so you're referring to her blog, I believe, which is on the wiki. Well, I was referring to her to her YouTube video, um, oh, okay. where and and it was a YouTube video that was linked in the unique um, unique GitHub wiki. Um, but you know, I think my my question was actually pretty much something you had already answered. You know, you you trade off between efficiency and compatibility because you're building with you're building off of the Linux kernel and the Linux kernel is widely compatible with mm-hmm. all kinds of things. It's very easy to build off of. Uh, but because you are making your operating system compatible with, with, uh, you know, so, so many under so many, uh, you know, outdated, um, notions that it becomes less efficient as those overall paradigms have changed mm-hmm. as those notions have changed. Well, the, um, uh, in her in her talk, um, I believe she's she's referencing the fact that as as we made decisions over the years of um, how to build our operating systems, we we lean towards compatibility. Uh, we we made we made a choice between instead of being hardware specific, platform specific, or um, application or language specific, we built out Linux and uh, and other Unix operating systems to support as much as they possibly could which has led to a bloated kernel. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think at this point we can now take a look back and, and wonder if this is the right operating system, this is the right um, context for running our clouds, if we're talking, you know, about... Uh, or, or also um, embedded devices is another... Uh, Certainly. So as we move to talking about unikernels, with a unikernel... The developer who is using the unikernel gets to select the minimal set of libraries that are needed for the operating system. That's correct. So explain how this works. Like, if I'm a developer, do I literally have to choose the libraries that are associated with the application that I want to run, or does it get chosen for me? Explain how this works. That's a good question, and the answer to that is it's dependent on the unikernel. Um, so currently, at the time of this uh, conversation, uh, Unique is integrated with two unikernels. Um, that's OSV and Rump Run. Now, Rump Run and OSV are both um, uh, what, what are described as POSIX-ish unikernels, which means that they can actually take a POSIX-compliant um, application, application that's making system calls to a uh, regular POSIX operating system, and stub them um, and redirect them so that they can actually um, you can you can take uh, the same application that will compile to a Linux binary and run it as a as a unikernel on uh, the OSV platform or the Rump Run platform. Um, so in in the case of case of OSV, uh, those libraries 
are already built in. Um, in the case of um, Rump Run, Rump Run has a specialized C compiler that dynamically analyzes code and pulls in the relevant libraries at compile time. So you as a developer do not need to know ahead of time what system libraries your application will be dependent on, which um, is, is why we think, uh, our team thinks that, that Rump Run is um, one of the stronger unikernel, probably the strongest unikernel implementation out there right now. And it, it's why we've chosen to um, put most of our effort into supporting that unikernel. That being said, I'm, I'm sorry, um, there are unikernel implementations such as Mirage OS, uh, which Docker has been playing a lot with lately, which does require you to specify and, and build your application explicitly using um, the system libraries that you wish to include in your application. I want to take a step back. Can you define the difference between a unikernel and a library operating system? Um, I, I would just say that the, the library, I, it, it really depends on where you look. Um, uh, some some people use the terms interchangeably. Uh, what I would say is that a unikernel is a compiled um, operating system plus application, library operating system plus application, where a library operating system are the libraries themselves or the tool chain for building a unikernel. So, for example, Mirage. Uh, Mirage OS is really a collection of different system libraries written in OCaml. So I can take an OCaml application, Hello World, um, and it's going to uh, listen on a TCP socket and reply with hello world whenever it gets a request. Um, uh, so, so this is a, uh, so the library, the, the TCP library I import, that's part of the, the library operating system, where it's like operating systems as a library. So I have my TCP stack, it's a library I import into my application. Rather than expecting it to be there, um, you know, as, as part of the, the operating system running the application. So let's start to talk about some of the advantages of using sure. unikernels. Sure. What are the different kinds of savings that we get by, by using unikernels? Uh, well, there, there are a few that I, I mentioned right off the bat. Um, so if we're talking about utilization, let's take our data set there. You know, I've got uh, five, uh, you know, whatever servers sitting in my data center, small little uh, startup data center. I got five servers sitting in there, and um, what I decided to do is go with a, a container-based solution. So what I do is I'm running some kind of uh, hypervisor on there, like maybe OpenStack or vSphere for a well-funded startup. And um, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a hundred gigabyte virtual machine, hundred gigabytes of disk, hundred gigabytes of memory, or whatever. Um, some fixed allocation of resources. And then my actual applications are going to be running inside of containers. Um, and so I think of each, each virtual machine as a bucket. And I want to fill the virtual machines up with containers. But there's, by necessity, some portion of those machines I'm not going to be utilizing, which means that when I create a new VM in order to place containers into it, I'm reserving portions of the underlying servers that are not necessarily in use. Um, so... so with the unikernel, uh, since they're running as virtual machines, you don't need to um, reserve system resources to make these buckets. The hardware itself becomes the bucket. Does that um, does that make sense? It does. Can you talk in 
perhaps like can you give numbers or give some proportions to how much savings and are we saving disk are we saving memory uh, well, we'll be we'll be saving all uh, disk memory and CPU um, as well as network throughput um, I don't have numbers for you I, I wish I did uh, you know unique itself is uh, more of an experimental proof of concept type of project uh, I would not argue that Unique is uh, by any means the fastest unikernel implementation out there. Um, we add a bit of orchestration on top of uh, uh, Rump Run and OSV, which uh, do increase the memory size um, and have a performance hit on those unikernels. But our purpose was to make unikernels function in a similar way to uh, how Docker containers function. And you just get up and go and run um, and sort of seamlessly deploy applications as unikernels. So that was the, the trade-off that we took there, and I don't really have um, numbers for you. I do believe that there are projects out there that have benchmarked boot times for unit kernels, memory footprint, et cetera, but I, I don't have that um, actual numbers I can give you, unfortunately. Sure. Um, so we were talking earlier about how the context switching between kernel and user space is quite painful. Now that we've talked a little more about unikernels, can you contrast what the notion of how the no, I mean, are we switch? Are we still doing some sort of security check or something? Or like, how how does that notion change when we move to unikernels? Um, so in the unikernel, uh, in in the implementations of of Rump Run and OSV, there is no privilege check going on, which means that that uh, every application or you know the one application that runs. Uh, runs as the kernel. Um, there have actually been some uh, comments so online. Single address space. Yeah, sing, single address space, single process kernel that, that runs in, in kernel mode. There is no uh, user space in uh, unless you were going to implement it yourself as part of your application. So everything that happens in the unit kernel is on the application level itself. If I wanted to write an application that um, ran code, arbitrary code, and then when it ran it, it, it ran it in some kind of protected space, then, you know, that would be similar to the way that, that Linux works, and Linux separates uh, user space from kernel space. Um, but uh, by convention, this isn't a part of uh, any of the existing unikernel implementations. Um, now, there are a few blogs that I've seen out there. There's the very... Uh, you know, if you're in the unikernel world, you're familiar by now with the Brian Cantrell attack on unikernels from Joyent, which interestingly is now um, a paid advertisement on Google. If you look, uh, search unikernels, the first thing you'll <laughs> see is this uh, unikernel smashing blog from um, the Joyent guy. Um, and one of the things he says is that unikernels are, are, are actually less secure than uh, running containers inside of a, a Linux or inside of a... a a Unix operating system um, because the application code inside of a unikernel runs at in kernel mode and there's no none of this protection. Um, but I, I think that article is like extremely, extremely biased. Um, the whole point of, of user mode and kernel mode is to protect the system from the application. So you have multiple applications running that are dependent on the system and you want to make sure that, that if a... Um, an application is exploiting, is, is doing an exploit or there's a bug that, that it only threatens itself and it doesn't threaten the underlying system. Well, a unikernel, the application is the system. 
So there's no, it just doesn't logically make sense. Why would you have separation between a thing and itself? The, the, the application is the kernel. The, uh, actually, I had a listener who, I polled the listeners for some questions, and one listener, um, my friend Dan, Dan Osipov, he said that the, the Brian Cantrell argument also states that unikernels are, are kind of unfit for production because they're not debuggable. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the common approach is to, if you have a bug, you just restart the unikernel without understanding the error. Are, are there, is this like a, an unsolvable problem or are there tools to improve the unikernel debugging yeah, so that are, this is, it's really, I, I, I really have to take a shot at this article because it's just patently untrue. Um, to, to claim that unikernels are undebuggable. Uh, it may be true that the number of tools available to debug unikernels are much fewer than the tools available to debug Linux or um, uh, Docker containers. But if you look at Docker containers five years ago, or they're not even five years old, three years ago, they had the same problem, which is where companies like Sysdig and uh, other monitoring you know, metrics applications came from. Uh, unikernels are just a very new space and there isn't a lot of tooling around unikernels. There are hardly even any unikernel implementations out there. You can go to um, uh, unikernels.org and you'll literally find a list about five or six different unikernel projects, most of which aren't even in active development. So uh, I I think it's disingenuous. Uh, Rump Run um, includes a, uh, um, a, a rump control application. Uh, the Rump Run toolchain allows you to connect to a running unikernel, uh, run IP config, netstat, um, other, you know, other um, uh, debugging utilities that we're used to in the Unix stack. Um, OSV has a similar, has an even more robust uh, debugging tool. It's just a question of, of having to re-implement these tools in the unikernel ecosystem, and it just hasn't been done yet. There's nothing about a unikernel that makes it undebuggable. It's just patently untrue. Can, can you explain? So, you know, I'm, this is not a Valley Wag style podcast uh, about gossip, but mm-hmm. you know this this area of the competition among different providers and containers and these low level systems. I have a whole lot of trouble understanding the business models uh, across these different companies and how they contrast. Can you explain why Brian, who is, I think, the CTO of Joint, mm-hmm. which was recently acquired by Samsung, can you explain why he would be motivated to take a shot at unikernels? Uh, all right. So first, let me preface this by saying um, that these are my <laughs> opinions and not the opinions of an EMC corporation in any way. Um my interpretation, I, I, to be honest, I'm not super familiar with, um, uh, you know, I, I could, I can only give an outsider's perspective based on speculation. But um, uh, what I know about Joint is that they, uh, years ago, they were in the VM market and containers started to emerge and they fought the container um, uh, emergence. And they, they made the same arguments against containers. The containers were not secure. Um I believe they actually still make that argument against Linux containers. I, if I understand correctly, they're not really they're not running uh, Docker. I believe they're running a container, so their own container solution built on um, Solaris zones, 
or BSD jails. I'm not sure which, which are uh, – they're alternatives to um, the Linux containers that we're familiar with. Um, that I, you know, I guess they're supposed to be more secure. There's more virtualization going on, uh, you know, somewhere in between uh, a full-on virtual machine and, um, you know, a, a Linux container, which is basically just a, a process that can't see other processes. Um, I, I, as far as what their motivation is in attacking Unikernels, uh, I guess they would have to have some financial motivation because, you know, he didn't just write an article smashing unikernels. He wrote two articles smashing unikernels um, and is currently paying for one of them to be uh, an ad <laughs> on Google. It's probably the first ad ever paid for related to unikernels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I imagine that uh, he, he perceives it as some kind of threat. You know, I, I think that we are... Um, quite a ways away from having production-ready unikernels. Uh, I think that he's right that it's not ready yet. But, um, you know, there are people who still say Docker is unfit for production. Uh, you know, Google that and you'll find a lot of stuff out there. And uh, I, I just attended DockerCon um, a few weeks ago where I, I could rattle off a list of companies to you that are running it in production. So regardless of, of what some people feel, uh, when new technologies emerge that promise tremendous benefit, um, eventually uh, customers will come out and say, I want to run this. I actually want to run it in my data center. And, you know, what do I need to do to get that happening? And it seems like these arguments aren't usually based on substance as much as just some deep seated fear. It's, it's almost like, you know, an Amazon. You know, when Amazon came out, when Amazon started getting when uh, Amazon Web Services started getting really robust in terms of security, you still you still have today have people saying, you know, oh, it's not secure, it's in the cloud. What do I know about this? Or like, you know, Barnes and Noble would be a or not Barnes and Noble because I think they actually do run on Amazon, but like, uh, you know, you have Home Depot or somebody saying we can't do our commerce on Amazon Web Services. It's dangerous it just these like strange arguments um anyway okay we, we should get back to unikernels um so can you i mean unikernels have been around for a while you know just like linux containers have been around for a while and but, but you know as docker has become has popularized linux containers it seems like similarly there's some sort of resurgence of unikernels or they're becoming more popular becoming more usable or something can you give me some history of unikernels leading up to the present explain why this why this more recent hipster movement has been happening with unikernels unfortunately i'm not great on the, the history of unikernels um there's a really a great talk by um uh this guy ian eiberg um who is uh part of a small startup called defer panic uh, you may have heard of them. They have um, they're they're trying to make a um, sort of an AWS for unikernels. Um, it's at defurpanic.net. Um, anyway, so he's and and defurpanic did a lot of the work to bring uh, Go support to uh, Rump Run, which uh, we use as part of Unique. Um, uh, he has a talk that goes deep into the history of operating systems and uh, the unikernel. Uh, which is from OSCON earlier this year. 
Uh, I know the slides are available online. I can I can send you them um, later on. But personally, I don't know a tremendous amount about mm-hmm. the history. What I can say about the popularity of unikernels is I, I think we're at a time right now when uh, unikernels are just highly relevant. Uh, they promise to, to bring a lot of benefits to the currently existing ecosystem, which is a world of distributed applications running in um, – containers running on commodity hardware uh and and we're at a point now where we don't really care about the server we care about the application um and you have all these tools like vagrant and chef and uh uh puppet which which say look you're we don't you know your server is just something to be made and thrown away don't get attached to it um it's the application you care about um and and Unikernels have a lot to offer in this area. When um, uh, you think about no longer um, provisioning a server and then uh, configuring an application, but simply compiling an application, compiling a server out of an application, the server becomes a compiled piece of code um, that can just be deployed uh, directly without any configuration, any provisioning. As I understand, there are some security benefits of unikernels as well. Do you are you familiar with those? Yeah, well, the 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 promise or the potential security benefits of unikernels are tremendous, simply by nature of the fact that a unikernel only contains um, the specific libraries and drivers that an application needs to run. Uh, so it's the minimal subset of whatever an application needs. There are a number of uh, benefits to this. Also, before I get into those, um, also remember that a uh, unikernel runs as a single process, a single address space, which means it makes it a lot harder to execute arbitrary code in a unikernel. Um, it's still possible with a buffer overflow, um, but there is no fork. So you cannot execute another application or start another process from a unikernel. Uh, which shuts down one of the popular avenues of attack with the shell code exploits because there's no shell. So, um, so if I have some IoT application, like let's say I've got an internet-connected refrigerator, it might make sense for the internet-connected refrigerator to run on a unikernel so that my all you know my fleet of refrigerators can't all be hacked and uh, used for strange purposes. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I like to use this example because it's uh, come from personal experience. Um, but at my old company, and I won't give a name, I worked at a company that built um, wireless speakers, and these speakers had, were were their own dev- were you know had an embedded uh, device in them. Uh, they connected to your Wi-Fi, and you could stream music from them over Wi-Fi, and uh, you know they connect to your router as an actual device. You don't have to plug them into anything. You just turn them on and uh, control them from your phone. And working this company, I learned that these speakers actually have um, Linux running on them. And <laughs> if you want to, you know, during debug at work, we would SS regularly SSH into the speaker. And it's kind of a scary idea when you think about somebody SSHing into your refrigerator, into your speaker, uh, and you know, suddenly having access. Now, you know, that's a, that's an additional point that you have to protect against. And basically, with the unikernel, there is no SSH. There are all of these, um, uh, you know, SE Linux or uh, I'm sorry, App Armor. All of these security features that Linux has built into it to protect um, the security vulnerabilities that are there. Uh, 
uh, Unikernel doesn't have these vulnerabilities unless you actually actively elect to include them. Unless you say, I want to build an application that has SSH as a part of it. Mm. Um, so fundamentally, there's in theory, you could almost build an entire new Linux as a Unikernel if you wanted to. Which is why I'm saying that they're lightweight. I mean, it's they're as lightweight as your application. But the, right. the point is that, um, yeah, if in the most common use case, any sensible use case of running a unikernel, you're going to want to run some subset of what's available in a general operating system. And usually right. that subset in a toaster or in a refrigerator is not going to include something like uh, SSH or running an SQL server, something like right. that. No, that's so great because this Internet of Things security stuff is quite a big deal. I, I f- seen all these hacker news there's these ha- hacker mm-hmm. news posts that come up every couple months where it's like i stayed in a hotel and i hacked the light switches and it's like mm-hmm. i made all the light switches on the floor below me switch off and on rapidly it's like oh my god i don't want to live in this world <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's very frightening and also when you think about privacy concerns you know it's not just um hackers that right. are looking to um uh, analyze and get access to our devices, but it's it's also um, advertisers and, and other companies that want to just collect our data. Um, and the opportunity to do that is so much larger uh, when you've got the, the large attack surface um, and all the nooks and crannies uh, in, in a system like Linux. Mm. So could you... I mean, now that we've talked about unikernels in detail, we should talk about Unique, which is the whole reason I'm having you on the show. I mean, obviously, you're an expert in unikernels, but Unique is something you're actually working on. What is Unique? So I I should preface by saying I'm not really as much of an expert um, on unikernels as uh, the the people who have actually built unikernels, because Unique is not a unikernel. Um, So uh, also Yuval, uh, who unfortunately couldn't be here for this, um, is... Uh, also, like much more um, familiar with uh, the internals of unikernels, how they work. Um, I've built up a lot of my knowledge through uh, having to defend <laughs> unikernels from uh, their detractors. But um, uh, I, I do, I do know a fair amount just from my experience. But uh, you know, somebody from the Rump Run Project or from Mirage would probably be better at answering some of the questions that you've asked about them. Um, I hope I've uh, those people would consider me having done justice to. Well, this is the first work. show I've done on unikernels, and it's clearly something that I'll have to do more shows on. So I think it's it's almost a feature rather than a bug sure. that you're not super familiar with the in depth internals of them and the history. Okay. Sure, sure. Um, uh, so so if, unique, yes, unique, right? Okay, so unique. Um, this so this concept came from from Edith Levine, and uh, basically she looked at the uh, the Unikernel ecosystem. She, uh, we're trying to understand um, what is it lacking, you know. Under basically coming to see very quickly the benefits of Unikernels over the current ecosystem, uh, that the the current ecosystem could make this migration to run on, on a Unikernel ecosystem rather than containers, which is where it's headed right now. Uh, and what are the the roadblocks there? Um, and, and basically they stood out fundamentally as, as, um, two major roadblocks. One of which is the ease of use, uh, running a unikernel yourself manually, um, is quite a difficult task, even though, um, projects like OSV and rump run have tried to make it easier, um, 
by automating the selection of libraries, that the, the OS libraries that get uh, put into the unikernel, they're still not quite that easy to, um, you know, when you compare that to a Docker container where literally uh, somebody who's maybe knows a little bit of front end and not much else can actually spin up a Docker container with Node.js and start developing backend applications pretty quickly. Um, nothing like this exists even remotely for a unikernel. So they're, they're, they're very difficult to use for the average developer. Um, and also the ability to orchestrate them is just not there. If you wanted to run a distributed application as a set of unikernels, doing that manually would be a very, very uh, arduous task. Uh, so we sought to set out to solve this problem and basically to create a platform into which any existing unikernel um, implementation, Mirage OS, Rump Run, OSV, Click OS, uh, et cetera, um, could be integrated. Uh, we, we wanted to have one platform, basically like a Docker for unikernels. Um, that would make it easy to automate building and deploying unikernels on, on any platform with any kind of unikernel, any language, et cetera. So how does compiling my application to a unikernel using unique, how does that process compare to putting an application in a Linux container with Docker? Yeah, so fundamentally they're different because um, when you build a Docker container, essentially what you're doing is you're running a shell script, or I, I think it's, it's Python, um, or they might have moved it over to Go. Uh, but basically what you're doing is you're taking a, a file system. You know, if you're familiar with the ch roots, um, it's like truding to a folder, then copying a bunch of stuff into that folder and creating a file system. Um, that's all you're really doing when you build a container. Uh, and it's, it's doing it by executing a script. Um, building a unikernel is fundamentally different because a unikernel is compiled. Uh, it's, it's not um, a file system. It's a single file. Um, you can add files to, to the boot volume if you want to, or you can attach data volumes if you want to a unikernel. But a unikernel is a virtual machine. Um, a container is a tarball. A container is a set of files and instructions on how to run those files. Containers can run multiple processes. They can run nothing. They can uh, – they, they basically, it's just a, a subset of um, the operating system that's already running underneath it. So when you build a unikernel, what you're building it from, your inputs are sources, or source files, and, and static files, if you choose to have static files included. Um, so you'll take your Hello World application, the actual source files of your application, um, and with Unique, you tell Unique to build it from the sources, and it will produce a binary for you. Or actually, Unique itself will produce a bootable image, which contains the, the kernel binary. So can I use Docker with Unikernel somehow? What is the synergy there? Um, it's interesting that you ask that because Docker themselves are trying to explore this uh, uh, possibility. Um, I don't think that they've invested a lot of resources in it, but um, there is a project out there called the Docker Unikernel Runner, um, which uh, – in my opinion, it's kind of like a hacky version of Unique um, or parts of Unique. It doesn't, it doesn't actually um, uh, automate the building. You still have to build the unikernel yourself, um, but it will run a unikernel for you through Docker so that you can say Docker run, um, and it'll, it'll, the container then 
uh, hooks out to uh, the host operating system and runs a unikernel in QMU or KVM. Uh, it allows you to, to, in this roundabout way, like go into a Docker container and then the Docker container goes back out to the host um, and says run a, a container or run a unikernel. Um, so, so, okay, so that's the present day situation. Can you hypothesize about what the could are there fundamental advantages to using Docker together with unikernels that you can imagine? Uh, in its current incarnation, um, I, I would say it doesn't really make sense. Hmm. Uh, you, you know, um, you couldn't take a Docker container and run it as a unikernel because remember, a Docker container is just a file system. Right. You could intelligently say, okay, so uh, I, have, I have my Hello World container, and it's got files X, Y, and Z. Uh, and when I say Docker run Hello World, it launches the Hello World binary. I could now create a way, you know, basically turn that into a unikernel manually and say, all right, I'm going to compile a unikernel out of my Hello World and then put files X, Y, and Z on, on the boot volume. And it'll work in fundamentally the same way. But there's no clean translation, especially when you consider that a lot of uh, unikernels out or a lot of containers out there are running multiple binaries, uh, which a unikernel cannot do. Um, and they're, they're also uh, assuming that the Linux kernel exists, which a um, unikernel also doesn't do. So tell me what is so, – so if I have a Docker container, it would not make sense to say – Hey, let's look at what libraries this Docker container uses. Spin up a unikernel with the minimum libraries needed to support all of the programs in this file in this Docker file system, uh, and run it on the custom unikernel that works for this container. That would not necessarily make sense. Well, it sounds like the 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 big gating factor is just that. Or well, maybe it's one that the introspection is not good enough, but two, maybe it's that you need to run multiple binaries sometimes. I don't know. Maybe you can tell me where that sure, falls apart. Sure. So actually, um, you could absolutely take most of many of the applications that are being run today in containers and convert them into Unikernel. Um, it, it can definitely be done, uh, not by an automatic process, at least not today. This is something we've talked about. Is trying to basically take a container um, and uh, convert it dynamically into unikernel. Um, that in itself, uh, it basically, it, it requires an in-depth knowledge of how the application actually runs. So it would be the application creator, the person who made the container for the application, could then and go, you know, using the source code for the application, create a unikernel. Um to do it, it wouldn't be uh, a trivial thing to just convert um, an existing container file system into a unikernel. Um, that being said, most applications. Do you think about this? The world of "quote unquote" microservices. It's a term I really can't stand, but the way people are designing their applications these days um, is to be single binary single process applications that are just running, you know, whether you're running like a Tomcat or uh, Apache server um, for some of the more traditional workloads that are out there, or you've written, you know, a very clean application in Node.js or Go, and it just uh, executes, you know, it's just running a long-running server handling requests. These things make a lot of sense for a unikernel. 
Uh, and right now they're being run um, inside of a container. Uh, if you if you go inside, if you SSH into one of these containers that's running like my node server um, and do a PS, all you'll see running typically is just node. That's it. And maybe, uh, you know, in it. Um, in, in those situations, it absolutely makes sense to run as a unikernel. And I would argue more so to run as a unikernel. Um, if you're, you know, basically taking your uh, shell, I mean, the shell is a really good example. You're going to take SH or bash and try to run that as a unikernel. It'll never work because the way those things work is they, they fork, they, you know, execute sub processes. So if you're, want to, you know, do a Docker run Ubuntu uh, slash bin slash SH, which I do that all the time. Uh, that that paradigm doesn't make sense in the unikernel world. Okay. So, you know, as we begin to draw to a close of this conversation, uh, to bring this home, so you work at EMC, mm-hmm. and EMC is heavily invested in Cloud Foundry. Mm-hmm. And in that talk I saw by Adit, she talked about the advantages for the typical Cloud Foundry user in a world with unikernels. Just just to bring this conversation home, can you explain the kinds of savings and the kinds of advantages that a typical Cloud Foundry stack would get out of having a, a base of unikernels? Sure. Um, so again, going back to my example of if we're, we're talking about like cost savings, just for the heck of it. Um, uh, going back to my, my example before about the buckets. So right now, what Cloud Foundry does, Cloud Foundry runs app, applications and containers. Um, the containers themselves are run inside of um, uh, workers, basically. So you, when you spin up a Cloud Foundry deployment, you specify, the, I have this number of um, controllers, I have this number of masters, there are all these different components that are virtual machines that are part of your deployment. Um, but then you have some number of virtual machines, and these are the really big ones, the bulky ones, where the applications get run. So you have some number of workers, you know, usually three or five or 100, however big your, uh, your deployment is. Um, but the point is that you have to pre-allocate space on top of your physical infrastructure where the containers are going to run. And then if you want to expand, if you want to scale either up or down the number of um, uh, workers that are available for your containers, let's say you have a surge in demand or demand drops um, for your application, uh, it actually then means you have to manually uh, redeploy Cloud Foundry or you not, not redeploy the whole thing. They have a deployment tool called Bosch that um, scales the cluster up and down. But it's, it's still something that you have to do external to Cloud Foundry where uh, unikernels run directly on the metal. So uh, when, when a unikernel is requested or an instance is requested of an application, uh, unique you know, using using the unique integration, unique will go out to the metal and just you know the the hypervisor that's running in the metal and just create a new VM for that application. Um, so that's one in terms of resource consumption. Then you've got the obvious benefits of security that we've already gone over. Um, efficiency applications run with with uh, better efficiency, um, and uh, the other benefits that are that you know containers haven't yet gotten to the state of having. Um, uh, mature networking solution, virtual machines have been there for 20 years. Uh, mature storage solution, virtual machines have been there for 20 years. So 
all these things that containers are working on catching up to and, and undoubtedly will eventually have. Virtual machines already have had for years and have basically perfected. You have live migration of virtual machines with something like vMotion on uh, vSphere. Um, currently not possible with uh, Linux containers. Mm. Okay. So just to ask a final question, we were talking about this before the show started, and you've touched on it a little bit, but Docker recently acquired a company called Unikernel Systems. This is a company mm-hmm. that makes the Mirage OS and the Zen hypervisor. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that happened? What are they going to do? It's an interesting question. Um, so the first thing that they actually did do, um, and, and I know that this was a big part of their um, acquisition, was the uh, Docker for Mac and Docker for Windows. Um, so if you've been following the recent news with Docker, uh, you know, right now I'm running Docker using VirtualBox on my Mac uh, because Docker requires a Windows kernel, or I'm sorry, a, a Linux kernel in order to run. Um, is the way Docker runs containers is that the, the um, Linux kernel gets shared between all the containers that are running. So it requires Linux. Um, uh, and that's the same way that you ran it up until a few months ago on Windows as well. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to make it so that you could run Docker directly on your um, OS without having to run VirtualBox or some kind of bulky Linux VM. What they did was they basically made their own hypervisor. Uh, So when you're running now Docker for Mac or Docker for Windows, um, it's actually running a unikernel. It's running a little Linux unikernel. It's not not accurate to say Linux unikernel, but it's like a uh, specialized unikernel that is able to provide the Linux containers with what they need in order to run. Um, And so they they acquired the unikernel systems people uh, largely to work on that. I believe that's what most of them were working on um, when they first signed on to Docker. I know it was a big part of their announcement at DockerCon this year. Um, but then, you know, we get into the more speculative areas is what do I think their long-term goals are for the unikernel people? And I, I have to say I, I think that Docker is going to take a look at um, expanding beyond the world of containers and, and seeing, you know, are unikernels the future of um, the cloud? Uh, are they going to run side by side with containers? Um, uh, I, I think that Docker is definitely interested in this space, and you know they want to make sure that wherever um, the technology goes, that the Docker API and the Docker experience is is a part of that. Thanks for prognosticating on that. I appreciate the predictions. Um, and thanks for coming on the show to talk about unikernels. I sure. uh, appreciate having this conversation. Listeners have been asking for it for a while. So appreciate your presence. All right. Great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. SafeGraph is building a company to securely monetize exhaust data. If you are amazingly entrepreneurial, you live in San Francisco, and you want to be one of the first five employees at SafeGraph, either as an engineer or a business development person, check out SafeGraph.com. Wow!